0: I decided even before I met her and before I saw her that Jean was going to be my wife. Now the irony of it is that uh, another little girl that went to high school with her was Coretta Scott, who married Martin Luther King. When we married, she was determined that she wanted to stay in the South, that she wanted to be a teacher. Now the, the interesting thing was I had no I mean, I had no real nasty racial experiences growing up, but I could deal with segregation, and I could always slide by and and get along. That wasn't true of her. It wasn't true of Coretta. Her family had uh, earned land out of the Reconstruction, so they were a wealthy rural family that had three or four businesses. Uh, When she was about 12 years old, White people found a way to swindle her family, her granduncle, out of the businesses and um, on some kind of trumped-up charges. And it was, it was so depressing to her grandfather that he committed suicide. And her daddy became an alcoholic. And her mother, who was a teacher, was uh, the superintendent, realizing she was vulnerable and very attractive. Uh, tried to flirt with her and she hit him With an umbrella to beat him off and she got fired and was blacklisted and had to go two counties away to find a job So that when Jean was like 12 years old, she was not only walking uh, Three miles to school most of the time running uh, But uh, she had to come home and cook and take care of her father. Uh, And um, she was very bitter about race. Now, Coretta had the same kind of experience. I mean, Coretta's father had three different businesses that were destroyed by white people. A trucking company, a sawmill, and a grocery store. They were all sabotaged or burned because it was a county that resented black people having, being able to progress and being hard workers, and, and so both Coretta and Gene were more committed, I think, <laughs> to get into the struggle to do something about race uh, than either me or Martin. I think he chose Montgomery, Alabama for all the wrong reasons. Uh, he wanted to finish his PhD dissertation and he picked the most conservative church in the South uh, where he'd have the most time to devote to his writing. And the least controversy, he was offered jobs in, in Atlanta and uh, Philadelphia, and he turned all of those down where they saw his leadership potential, and he picked the most conservative job he was offered. <laughs> he went to Montgomery to get away from the controversy. Atlanta was a very aggressive. W.E.B. Du Bois, Walter White, uh, Whitney Young were all in Atlanta. Uh, His father uh, and his grandfather were both civil rights leaders in Georgia. And they wanted, Dr. Mays wanted him to take over as president of Morehouse College. And he was trying to get away from all of that leadership responsibility by picking Montgomery. there was a lot of rivalry and a little pettiness between all the organizations. And everybody wanted to speak first because in those days, we figured to get on the 6 o'clock news, you had to speak before 3 o'clock. So everybody wanted to speak first and they were jockeying for position. And he, was, he said, I'll speak last," But everybody else spoke too long and he was trying to discipline himself to stay within his nine minutes that was allotted. And uh, the speech that he wrote was exactly nine minutes. And the night before in this Willard Hotel, he was walking around timing it. I know that he had made that same I Have a Dream speech in uh, Detroit back in June. And Mahalia Jackson had been there. And Mahalia Jackson, so it, I've heard, was, had just finished singing when Martin got up to speak. And as he got to the Toward the, toward the end, Mahalia kept saying, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And he launched into this I have a dream sequence. Now, it was not written down. Uh, he had delivered a similar variation, but when you look at the speech that he, wrote, that he gave with no preparation as a 26-year-old, you hear him talking about dreams. You hear him talking about the visions of America's future. You, you hear the seeds of, of a genius planted by God in a single little individual who was five feet, seven inches tall and weighed 160 pounds. And one of the things I'm really most proud of is that now that he's got a 30 foot stature here on the mall, because <laughs> we always wanted to be tall. We still have made, pro- we've made progress on race, but it wasn't about race, and it wasn't just about war. We've made progress on war, but we've not make, made a great deal of progress on dealing with poverty. In fact, the percentage of people in poverty now in 2013 is larger than the percentage of people. We were all moving into the middle class in 1963, By 2013, we're losing ground in the middle class and not gaining much in the poor. So we still have something to march about. But the difference now is that we know, since Martin Luther King made that speech, we've understood that there's no such thing as a national economy, that our economies are intertwined, that we're all part of a global he would say, network of mutuality uh, and we are bound together in a single garment of destiny. Not only black and white, but with China, China and India and Europe and Japan and Latin America. So we are not going to solve the problems of uh, poverty for American, Americans alone. We're going to have to expand Martin Luther King's dream and our thinking to include all of God's children, because our Constitution says that all men, and we assume women and children, are endowed by the Creator with those inalienable rights. We as Americans are the champions of human rights. It's a revelation from God to our founding fathers. But it's not something that we can hoard. It's like my grandmama told me, to those to whom much has been given, of them will much be required.